Acts 15. <clears throat> Acts chapter 15. I want to wrap up this chapter this evening, and so I uh, want to just look at uh, the, a much, much debated passage of Scripture tonight. And, and then I'll be very political in my answering it. So we'll get to that in a minute uh, when we talk about the disagreement between Barnabas and Paul. Not to review very quickly, the Judaizers have been, in, uh, <clears throat> been determined to enslave the Gentile converts by making them live a life of Jewish ritual. They're adding to salvation, which is heresy then. It's heresy even today. Anytime a church or a sect or a religion adds anything to the finished work of Christ, it's heresy. And that's what they were doing here. So imagine the shockwave that this teaching would send through the Gentile converts for the Gentile segment of the church because all of a sudden you're a second class citizen. You're not as good as the Jewish converts are. And so the apostles and Paul and Barnabas and, these, uh, and, and James back in Jerusalem they all plan to set up this conference and they are going to settle this matter and put it to rest. <clears throat> Last week we went through uh, mostly what James said, but we see Peter speaking in uh, uh, verse number 11 kind of concludes, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved even as they. Uh, Peter, who was, uh, was a hard convert himself in the uh, episode of Cornelius, and yet he now fully sees it and sees that the grace is the ticket, not the law. The law says, this do and thou shalt live. Grace says, live and then do this. And that's the way that we live. And so law put the load on man, grace put the load on Christ. Paul and Barnabas speak next, or Barnabas and Paul, which is not a mistake. Barnabas was more accepted than Paul, and so he spoke first. And then uh, James speaks after that. And these, uh, these, uh, the James, when he speaks, puts his finger on several things that uh, areas of concern for the Gentiles because he says, yes, the Jews have to accept them. They are just as us. It's a grace of God. We're all one under uh, God and what the ground's level at the cross. But then he goes on and talks about the fact that there does need to be harmony. So the Gentiles have to also come a ways to meet the Jews where they are. And he put his finger on several issues of concern that we talked about last week. The spiritual issue. He said they have to abstain from pollution of idols. Let's go there here in, um, oh, let's see where we are. Uh, verse 20. But we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication <clears throat> and from things strangled and from blood. There's a moral issue there and then there's a standard there that he wants them to see. A spiritual issue is pollution from idols. Uh, meat was for sale in Gentile markets that was ritually offered to idols that was unclean. And uh, he said you should abstain from that. Then there was a moral issue. They would abstain from fornication. Uh, many of these Gentiles were brought up in, in societies with a wide tolerance for sin. And so God's moral law would have to be obeyed. And then there was the ritual issue. The Gentiles should abstain from eating the meat of animals that had been strangled and from eating blood. Now, that was not something that is Bible as much as that was a test of fellowship. Can we eat blood today? I can't. I'm not something that I would want that much, but that's uh, nothing 
says we can't do that. Or animals that have been strangled, that's not a big deal as far as biblically speaking. But this was a fellowship issue, and we're talking about love versus liberty. And we went into that a little bit last week. Uh, my love restrains liberty when my liberty would hurt another Christian, when my liberty would hinder God's work, when my liberty would keep someone from getting saved then love will restrain that liberty. And we have to be careful that we as Christians don't ever come to the point where we demand our rights because if we really got what we deserved, then we would not like that very much. And so let's, uh, let's let love reign instead of liberty. He makes a statement in verse 21 as he wraps his part up. For Moses of old time, this is James talking, hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. That statement, I believe, was made to kind of calm the Pharisees in the Jerusalem church who had such a high view of Moses. It was important to them that Moses would be taught and revered, should be preached, and James is assuring them that's not going to change. Now, in conclusion tonight of this chapter, let's look at verse number 30. Uh, actually, read through verse number 30, starting at verse uh, number... Uh, let me see where I'm at here. There we go, starting verse number 30. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And after they had tarried there a space, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles, notwithstanding it pleased Silas to abide there still. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord, and with many others also. And some days after, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord, and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought it not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren, unto the grace of God. Probably the best known dispute in the New Testament. It's talked about, it's argued about, it's brought up whenever or many times when there's church problems. And so we'll look at that in a moment, but we'll set up, uh, talk about the other verses for a few minutes, and we'll get right to that. Father, thank you for the time. I pray you bless the reading of your word this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. They did some smart things here, the Jerusalem church. Uh, and, and the reason that we've spent multiple weeks in one chapter in Acts is because of the monumental thing that happened here. We are talking about for really the, all the, since, since Abraham... To this point, Gentiles were not part of God's equation. I mean, there were some Gentiles that got saved and were accepted by, by grace, and they could be. It wasn't like God didn't want them, but the Jews were the people he was working with. And now with the church, everything's changing. And this is a big, big change in the hearts and minds of these people. And so <clears throat> it's important that we do spend a little time with this. And so now they've had this conference. They have made the decision... Now, by the way, it's not their decision. This is them uh, being submissive to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one in charge here, and he's the one that was, was winning out here. And so now they've made this, uh, made this, we'll call it a decision. The Gentiles are as one with the Jews. The church, 
is the church. They're not ha- they don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to follow Jewish rituals. They are allowed in the church. And so what they did to get this word out, you can't, you know, it wasn't live streamed. This Jerusalem conference wasn't live streamed at that time because Caleb wasn't alive yet. And so there was no way to do it for him. And, uh, but so that because it wasn't live streamed, uh, they couldn't put it on Facebook. They've got to get the news out. So look how they did it. Then pleased at the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Bersabbas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. This was a wise move. Two leading Jewish uh, Jerusalem brethren would be sent along with them to validate or authenticate the decision uh, for these Gentile churches. This would give weight to the news. Uh, it would make sure that it was understood by everyone that it came. It was an official decision. And they might be suspicious if only Paul and Barnabas showed up because Paul and Barnabas were the opposition to them, uh, to these Judaizers. So these two men are described as chief among the brethren. They were the leading elders of the Jerusalem church. Not the leading, but they were leading elders in the Jerusalem church. Judas Barsabas is thought to be the brother of Joseph Barsabas. If you remember, he was one of the two considered to replace Judas Iscariot in Acts 1.23. Silas will come to know better in the rest of the book of Acts. He was an elder. He was also a Roman citizen, according to Acts 16.37. He then became a co-worker with Paul on the mission field. So keep reading here, verse number 23. And they wrote letters by them after this matter. The apostle and the elders and the brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Sicilia. So this letter was signed by the apostles, the elder brethren and the Jerusalem church. It came from the highest authority. It should have laid to rest any further dispute. The word greeting is sherion. It literally means to rejoice. So the letter begins, we bid you to rejoice and indeed they had a lot to rejoice about because once and all, for all, this issue of circumcision was settled. And uh, they, they didn't, I mean, let's just think about it practically. You've got a whole bunch of grown men in the church awaiting the decision to find out if they had to be circumcised or not. This is good news, amen, when you found out you didn't have to be. I mean, let's just be practical about the matter. Now we see a word of guidance, verse number 24. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with the words, subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law with whom we have no such commandment. The first thing they did was to divorce themselves from the false teachers. They had come pretending, remember, to have the backing of the Jerusalem leaders. They came from James, they said. They were uh, acting like they were uh, representing the Jerusalem church. In actuality... It was sabotage on their part. They had not the backing of the apostles, and they certainly didn't have the backing of the Bible. And so the apostles and the elders of the Jerusalem church are disassociating themselves from them. There comes a time when grace has to give way to truth. The idea that love embraces everything is garbage. Love reaches out to everyone, but love does not embrace error and wrong and so this, the time had come for them uh, who had spread falsehoods and divisive teaching to be confronted. Romans 16, 17, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which we have learned. If you have somebody, 
let's just use this church as an example. It's not happening now, so we can use it as an example. Just imagine we have somebody here that would be teaching a Sunday school class or holding a Bible study and teaching uh, truths that do not line up with Scripture, do not line up with what uh, we believe as a church. Um, we would have to mark them. You can't just let that go on. I mean, you can't let somebody come into the church and find uh, people to come to their house or wherever they would do it and start teaching them things that do not line up with Scripture or don't line up with the uh, church that they are part of. So this is what they're doing. They're marking them. Now, a word of endorsement here was also given for Barnabas and Saul. Look what it says in verse 25. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Very important wording here. Remember, Barnabas and Saul were the enemy. They were the ones that they, they, were, uh, they, they had been painted as against James, against the apostles, against these Judaizers, and the Judaizers tried to create a circle of them with the apostles and the Jerusalem church and Paul and Barnabas as whack jobs over there teaching this idea of grace and anybody can come and all that. Immediately here, the Jerusalem church is making sure this is our beloved Barnabas and Paul. We are associating with them. We're disassociating with you. And so this was important. The, uh, the word about Barnabas and Paul was especially kind. It says here they hazarded their life. That word, the original word for hazarded is interesting. It means to give up. So they'd essentially given up their lives for the cause of Jesus Christ. The church recognized that, and they appreciated it, and they mentioned it. Now, what a great thing they did, by the way. Giving up your life for Jesus Christ brings the greatest reward you can imagine. The Bible says, Jesus actually said, Matthew 16, 25, For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. Whosoever, for my sake, will lose his life shall find it. And so, it's not a loss to give our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, going on here. Uh, a word of endorsement for Barsabbas and Silas. We, in verse 27, we have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. Now, in Jewish law, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established, Matthew 18, 16. These two messengers would be able to back up the story of Barnabas and Paul. They would be able to tell the story of the conference and letters can only go so far, they can be misinterpreted, they can be twisted to say different things. Here you have men that are going to give, they'll be able to field questions, they'll be able to have a, a Q&A after the service, and they'll be able to fill the people in totally and help undo the damage that the Judaizers had done in the church here. And verse 28, as we move on, For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. They made it clear this was not political. This is not a personal agenda. This is in response to the leading of the Holy Spirit. That is what we stand on at Bible Baptist Church, is what's in the Word of God. Now, I love my opinions. I think, personally, they're brilliant. That's what I think about my opinions. In my opinion, they're brilliant. And you like your opinions. And in your opinion, your opinions are brilliant. Uh, that's just how we think. But my opinions are not what we ought to preach and teach here at Bible Baptist Church. I give them, I gave a lot of my opinions this morning. 
I was thankful that after this morning's message, uh, I still have a place to come back to tonight. So praise the Lord for that. We were pretty direct in some areas this morning. But uh, I love, we have to preach and teach the Word of God. And then they move on, and to us here. Uh, It seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. That's a good thing for them to say that too. Hey, we agree with this. We are on board. This is not us grudgingly giving in. It's a good thing to us. They're speaking for the whole church. The Holy Spirit had His way, and what a blessing. The Holy Spirit does not force His will, but He is the mighty force behind it. He is the invisible, inaudible, but indefinite, infallible power behind that. And it would do us well to remember when it seems that evil is winning, when it seems the wrong side is ahead, when it seems that evil-minded men have been able to disrupt and to destroy, when it seems that truth is losing the battle, the Holy Spirit never loses the war. might lose a battle, but he won't lose the war, and he never deviates from his purpose. He'll always prevail in the end, and so that's something for us to remember. Now, the apostles also make it clear that they expect everyone to get on board with this. The Holy Spirit has spoken, they said, about these necessary things. This is not an option. We're not going to have two factions of the church. We're going to all get on board with what this is because what the Holy Spirit's leading and it's a necessary thing. Uh, The four necessary things that they named here did not include circumcision and keeping the Mosaic law and so they made that very clear for them. What's the response? Well, you can imagine. Verse 30. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch. When they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle. When they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. It is a time for rejoicing. And Barnabas lived up to his name. Remember what his name was? Nickname? Son of Consolation. And so here it was. They rejoiced for the consolation. You can imagine what an anxious time this would have been for the Gentiles in the Antioch church. They're waiting to hear the news. They, <coughs> Again, you can't see it live. You can't hear it in real time. And there's, there's nothing harder than waiting for a critical decision uh, when it is expected the hours and days seem to drag. What if the news is bad? Hope and despair battle for victory in your own heart. Now they got this great news. Uh, I, I've wondered, as I read this chapter, where are the Judaizers at this point? I mean, have they skipped town knowing they're a bunch of frauds in the get-go? I don't know. I'm guessing, just because I've been in churches long enough to know, I'm guessing they're still here when this letter is being read, and they're hoping that it went their way, and they're sitting. Uh, I can just see them. They're, I can't go over here because these ladies are too sweet, but let's go to the front part here. They're, just, they're sitting all together. They're sullen. They're angry. Their ways aren't... They're, 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 their uh, teaching has not been accepted, and now they're going to slink away Uh, This, by the way, does not change their minds. Because church dissenters, church problem makers, they do not seek after the truth in the first place. And so when they hear truth, it does not change their tactics or their agenda because truth was never part of it in the first place. Truth matters not to a dissenter. Agenda is everything. And so for the time being... They're suppressed, uh, but uh, they have never really went away because we still have Judaizers of a different sort in the church today trying to add to the salvation, 
uh, trying to change doctrine and trying to do these different things. Uh, I would say Calvinism is along that line. It's not the same thing Judaizers were teaching, but it's a rotten doctrine that was made up by people, not by the word of God, and gets pushed, and uh, those are unfortunate things. So in the next few verses, we see what always happens after a time of conflict. During conflict, folks are not getting saved. No one's joining the church. There's bad feelings everywhere. But Proverbs 22.10 says, Cast out the scorner, and the contention shall go out. Yea, strife and reproach shall cease. And th verse 35, it just seems as if they had been set free here from the stifling doctrine of the legalists. The Antioch church had a new lease on life when it says, Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. There's nothing like uh, after the uh, false teachers have been suppressed for the church to start roaring forward again. Now that concludes our look at the first missionary journey the exploration phase. The second missionary journey begins uh, with expansion. Uh, here, technically, it begins in verse 36, uh, but we'll start looking at that uh, more next week. But here, uh, let's get to the argument, the disagreement. Paul, in verse 36, he's tireless. We don't know how long he remained in Antioch after the letter reading there. Uh, the term, with many others, also in verse 35, leads us to believe that Paul decided, hey, there's enough people to lead the work here. Let's get going on to other places. They didn't need him here. Uh, there was a whole world waiting to be evangelized, and Paul always looked beyond, and he was a missions-minded person. So, he would press on to regions beyond where people were in desperate need of the gospel. Look at Paul's intention in verse 36. Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. For a long time, Paul's heart had been with his Galatian churches. He longed to see them again. With the trouble that was going on in Antioch, this had tied him down, it had bogged him down. He was, uh, nobody likes to be a part of a big argument and a big contention. He wanted to be winning souls and, and getting people added to the church. And so now he was ready to get back to that. He would start by going back to Galatia. He wanted Barnabas to come. Barnabas is his partner. He's his friend. He's been faithful. So Paul proposed that idea. But Barnabas had another idea to add to it. Verse 37. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. They're to expose him to more dangers beyond his capacity to face them. We're not doing him any favors by letting him come and be part of something he can't handle. Mark has other talents. Let him serve the Lord in the areas in which he can serve God in a different capacity. The argument got serious. It got worse. Uh, I wonder if somewhere in there, because this is what I'd have said, it, I, if I was Barnabas, you know what num my number one argument would have been? Paul, you remember how I took up your case when nobody wanted anything to do with you? That would have been my argument to Paul, because that's absolutely true. There was a time when nobody wanted anything to do with Paul. Barnabas was the one that took him by the hand. He spoke up for him. He put his name on the line for, at that time, Saul. Paul, Barnabas, you compromised here at Antioch. When Peter and the others refused to eat with the Gentiles, you didn't eat with them either. I don't even trust you anymore. This is the kind of arguments that was going back and forth. In the end, two angry men faced each other, stubbornly insisting on their side of the issue of John Mark. 
there was only one thing to do, shake hands and part company. And that seems to be what they did. How sad when that happens. And how often this happens today still. Verse 39. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. They divided the field of the first mission between them. Barnabas left Paul, picked up Mark, went to Cyprus, where Mark had been before. Paul headed north to Galatia. Little is heard about Barnabas after this point. Church history tells us that he was preaching. Uh, was, he was having such a successful time preaching some years after this that it angered <coughs> the Jews so much that he was dragged out, tortured, and stoned to death. But he quietly went on serving the Lord. And the mainstream events, what, what all the attention from now on goes on Paul. But he did a good job with Mark. He passed Mark on later to Peter. And the hand of Paul, uh, or Peter, is evident in Mark's life when he wrote, he actually wrote the Gospel of Mark. And you can see Peter's influence in his writings. The hand of Paul is evident too. Uh, Mark wrote for the Romans. Uh, he, because Mark, the book of Mark is a Gentile gospel. So he wrote that especially for the Romans. Later, when Paul was awaiting execution, he sent for Mark. He so appreciated what Mark had become that he wrote for him to come to Rome in 2 Timothy 4.11. Bring Mark. He is profitable to me for the ministry. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Doubtless he was hurt in his soul with his clash with Paul. He's not mentioned much after this. Luke keeps his attention on Paul. Verse 40, and Paul chose Silas. It's not wise to travel in those dangerous times alone. And so now that Barnabas was gone, Paul sought on those who would accompany him from now on, and he chose Silas. Silas was a great choice. He was approved by the church uh, here because uh, uh, it was, Seems to, say, seems to say that anyway in verse number 40, being recommended. And so uh, he was a valuable traveling partner as he was also a Roman citizen. In the end, Silas proved to be a wise choice. So, the big question, who was right? Who was right? Paul or Barnabas? Um, and that's the question that is, I mean, you look at commentaries, you got answers all over the map. You got people that, uh, are diehard against Paul's decision, are diehard against Barnabas's decision. And I've come to a conclusion. The people who are most like Barnabas, they're encouragers, they're second chance givers, they've been given second chances, they agree with Barnabas. The hard-crusted men that, oh, God, I've got to be the way it is, this is the way it is, and that's the only way it is, they tend to be more with Paul. And my answer to this, and let's look at the arguments here, Paul's side of the picture, Silas did better on his, the, the, on, on his first missionary journey with Paul than Mark did on his first missionary journey with Paul. Okay, we know that. The fact that Mark was a relative of Barnabas probably affected Barnabas' choice. Verse 40 seems to tell us that Paul's choice of Silas helped his approval with the church in Antioch. All right, looking at Barnabas. Everyone needs a second chance. Amen? We all need a second chance. And Mark did great things after this. He wrote the book of Mark, the gospel. Later, he was reunited with Paul. Obviously, Barnabas was right. And we could say, obviously, Paul was right. My belief is that it's not important 
who was right, who was wrong. They were different. The dissension between these two, remember, was not a doctrinal issue. And be it, so because it wasn't a doctrinal issue, then that means that doesn't, neither one of them necessarily had to be wrong as far as scripturally speaking. I have to tell you, because of my personality makeup and the way that I am in ministry, I tend to side more with the Barnabas approach. I like to give people second chances. I think it paid off and was rewarded greatly. Uh, was Paul greatly great, uh, used greater because of this dissension and had Silas with him? Maybe so. Maybe it was in God's plan. But here is what I love about this dispute. Neither one of them quit. They both kept going. Now, in most times, you have a dispute among godly people. One of them or both of them quits. They go out the wayside. Stop coming to church. Stop being involved. Neither one of these guys quit. And this is very important for us to remember because there are times, there's been times in my life, in my ministry, I've had to separate with people. And they're good people and hopefully I'm good people. doesn't mean one of us is evil, wicked, and deserves to be hung, you know. It's just we are, we're looking at things different ways and we're not working together well and so we go our separate ways. I, my hope and prayer is always that they continue on for God. And that's my determination for myself as well. There are all kinds of people needed in the work of the ministry. Here you have two teams when there would have been only one team. You have, two, you have four men going in two directions where you would have had one man or one team of two men going in one direction. You have more being accomplished for God. It is rare that you have people fight and do more. <laughs> That's rare. And you see it right here. God used them both. Why don't we make up our mind that no matter what, <coughs> no matter what happens, no matter what conflict we have, no matter what disagreement we have, that we're going to just go forward. We're going to be faithful. We're going to keep serving God. Uh, we're going to, we don't have to agree with everyone we serve with in every way. But we can go forward and serve doing the best that we can. Stay in your lane. Bloom where you are planted. Stay faithful and keep going forward. That's what, John, uh, that's what uh, Barnabas and Paul both did. I don't think it matters a hill of beans who was right. doesn't matter. They both went forward. They both did great things. And they both kept on going for God. They were different. Paul was, you know, I got to tell you, I'd rather travel with Barnabas than Paul. If I had to travel with one of these fellows. What did Paul, I'm, I'm with Paul. They've just whipped me and they've put me in jail and tied up my hands and feet to chains. What, Paul, you want me to sing? I don't want to sing. That's what Silas had to do. He had to sing. That's Paul's lot. I... I kind of preferred working with Barnabases. But hey, was Paul not necessary? Absolutely. They were both great men of God. We can learn from both of them. So rather than putting one down and saying one's bad and one's good, let's just say, hey, both of them done some great things for God. They, neither one of them quit. It's a great thing for us to do as well, make up our mind and minister as well. Father, thank you for this passage. We are grateful.